Welcome to this edition of the Truth Lover video podcast presented by Love and Truth Party. I'm your host, Will Pye, author, speaker, transformational coach, workshop and retreat leader, and founder of Love and Truth Party. You can find out more about me at willpye.com. Love and Truth Party is a self-organizing, self-replicating community and movement of love and awakening, a wisdom school, facilitating health, healing, and happiness. You can find us and join our mailing list at loveandtruthparty.org. We exist to empower the deep realization and integration of unity of consciousness, one human being, and to inspire action in the world from this clarity as new earth ninjas, our playful avatar. We do so in the spirit of play, holding the paradox that all is well, even and including all collective crises, while simultaneously being moved to act to lessen suffering and serve the creation of conscious culture and society. Our projects include distributing a million love letters from the universe, inviting people to receive the love and care in these and within the happiness hacks and other free resources found on loveandtruthparty.org. Today, I'm really thrilled to be joined by our guest, Joan Tollison. Joan Tollison is a writer, teacher. Her latest book, Death, The End of Self-Improvement, I love that title, celebrates the great stripping process of aging, dying, living, and spiritual awakening. Joan sees awakening as never ending and always only now. She has roots in both Buddhism and Advaita, but belongs to no particular tradition. Joan is all for genuine transformation and distinguishes in her new book between that and an oppressive obsession with self-improvement rooted in stories of deficiency and lack. Joan celebrates imperfection and brokenness as blessings. She recently survived anal cancer, which she describes as an awakening journey. Joan is the author of four previous books, Bare Bones Meditation, Awaken the Heartland, Painting the Sidewalk with Water, and Nothing to Grasp. She lives in Oregon, USA. Beautiful to have you with us today, Joan. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I just love the description of, of what you do with, uh, in your, in your or group. You know, it's a beautiful description. It's a nice framing of, uh, of our conversation as well. And we, we came up with a, a, a title which just is profound and beautiful and, and concurrent to your book that's uh, just recently been published, Death. The end of self-improvement. I recall reading uh, "Awaken the Heartland" many years ago, and just being really touched by what was for me such a, a fresh and authentic voice um, that was quite unlike anything I'd read prior in the world of spiritual books. And I'm enjoying working through "Death: The End of Self-Improvement," which will have have to surely be your last book. I mean, it just seems like. It seems like it's a completion uh, in, in, in so many ways. The, the title, just to speak to that, that, we, uh, that you've proposed, and I, I love the beauty of everything falling apart, aging, dying, and living in the Anthropocene. And shall we, shall we say, I, I reckon for our listeners, not, maybe not everyone knows the term Anthropocene. Hmm. Yeah, it refers to... Um, well, it refers to the way that uh, through climate change and so on, 
um, we are probably leading, going, heading towards a mass, we are having a mass extinction of many species and, and probably our own extinction. And, um, and there have been many geological periods in the past where the earth would not have sustained human life and, and many mass extinctions in the past, but this refers to the first one that's human caused. So it's, it refers to human beings as a geological force really. Uh, bringing about, or it's not absolutely certain, of course, what's going to happen, but certainly there seems to be a good chance that we are headed in that direction. And, and can I just show the book? Um, Please. Just so people can see it. Is that good? a good view? I can't tell. Yeah, that's good. And then just up a bit. There we go. We can see the title as well. Yeah, that's beautiful. And the illustration on there, you're not only the author of the book, but you're the illustrator of the cover, I understand. Yes, I, I did that little drawing of myself. <laughs> and I mean, I'm intrigued. What brought you to this book? Because I've known Joan Tollison as, as, as a writer, teacher, as you say. And if I recall, Awaken the Heartland was a sort of exposition of the everydayness of non-dual teachings, perhaps we could say. And what, what, what's the force, the inspiration behind death, the end of self-improvement? Okay. And by the way, I've sort of dropped the teacher word and I'm using devotee of life now. I just seem to oh, like right. that better. You yeah. Know, we had an exchange, didn't we? On... <laughs> right. But um, I've never really liked the T word, um, the teacher word. But anyway, um, so what brought me to death, the end of self-improvement? Well, I'm getting old. I mean, I'm 71. And I started writing the book in 2003, and I was at that time, I, was, I had moved from California to Chicago to be with my 90, well, she died when she was 94 or 95, to be with my mother, who was in her 90s in her final years. And then I stayed on to be with another person in their final years. And so, and my, many of my friends were even 10 or 20 years older than me. So they were starting to go into retirement homes and nursing homes and things like that. And I went through menopause and, you know, started, my own body started to be quite different. And, and uh, so uh, it was just kind of there. It was in my face. You know, my mother was old and dying. And, and then at the same time, there was this global event happening where, through climate change and so on, we seem to be facing the end of um, our species and many other species. And um, so that's, and self-improvement, you know, I've just been very struck for many years by how our society is so obsessed with self-improvement and how people, there's a, such a sense of self-hate and, and, and deficiency that so many people struggle with. And, and, I, and I do distinguish between that and some kind of genuine transformation like what you're talking about. So, um, and I feel very much in harmony with what, you're, what your description of what you're doing, you know, that I'm not putting all this out in some way where to be uh, um, negative or something, but really to have gratitude and joy, even in the midst of, and a part of the book is about my journey with cancer. So even in the midst of, well, like yours, your brain tumor, the blessing of a brain tumor, I think was the title of your first book, right? Yes. Beautiful. I love your books, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I hear you loud and clear that, you know, life brought you to this book 
um, uh-huh. in coming coming from all directions and of course life brings us all to to, to death and it feels like there's, there's a similarity somewhat in your journey with cancer and, and, and my journey with cancer and I'm sure m- many people upon the planet right now there's kind of a microcosm in some ways of the big journey the microcosm of the experience that humanity's going through right now yes. um, and I'm a I'm a I'm naive. I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm, uh, I like to think perhaps at times a visionary even and whatever that means. And it's true that in my experience of the diagnosis, there have been many great opportunities and, and, and gifts, including facing death in a way that I believe has been very alive for you and, and in your book as well. And I still hope and believe it's possible that this great facing of death that collectively we're going through has the potential to create true transformation of us as a collective, as a species, some sort of shift into a new way of of being and doing, of managing our resources, of of being with each other and and so on. Um, Is that rooted in reality in in, in your sense? Or do you think that's just uh, a sort of new age optimism or... No, I mean, I, the way I see it, uh, I mean, I tend towards the more dystopian view, uh, you know, which I don't see as tragic either. I mean, any more than I would see it as tragic if, they, if, if next week I found out that my cancer had spread and, and I had two months to live. I would not see that as tragic. It's just part of life, you know. But um, so, but I, I, you know, it seems to me that, and I'm no scientist, but from what I understand of the scientific evidence, uh, things are looking quite dire. Some people believe that there's absolutely no hope, that even if we did all the right things right now, there would be no hope. Other people see that there's more possibility. Some people are quite optimistic, actually. Um, so there's a divergence of view. And we don't really know. We've never been in exactly this situation before. And we don't even know what this whole thing is. I mean, we talk about it being energy or consciousness or whatever. We don't even know how it all works. So of course, there's the possibility that anything could happen, including that it, it, you know, it could bring about a wonderful transformation as cancer or facing death often does in a human being or coming to the end of your life. So I definitely think that's a possibility. Um, And, uh, Although I have to say, I don't right now see the political will there to do this. I mean, it feels like all these right-wing leaders are being elected around the world. And, and even, if, even if the most progressive candidates were to win the 2020 election in the United States, um, we'd still have a huge part of the population that's going in the other direction and you know, media that's going in the other direction. So again, that could all change. You know, we never know how things work. So that could all change in a moment. But I personally feel like it doesn't look very encouraging, but I don't see that as tragic. I, and, 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 and it could be, to me, it's all about now. So, you know, even if we are heading towards extinction, it, you know, it's always about right now, whether, whether, whether we have six months to live or six million years to live. <laughs> Um, it's always now. I, I want to continue that exploration and also draw something out there that I, I, I feel may be challenging to some minds that are listening or, or watching. This idea that the end of our species would not be tragic. So I can very much relate to that. For me, 
if we take a, a cosmic view that um, you know, just, just as the end of a life is not necessarily tragic, it's an inevitable, um, ubiquitous, universal thing that happens. And you know, you're exploring in your book, who, who knows what happens, if anything, at that point of, of, of death. If it's total cessation, then, then glorious total cessation, not, not, not a bad thing. But I wonder if can you speak to the view that, that it's not tragic if, let's say, the worst case scenario, you know, temperatures rise and, and, in, and in 50 years um, or, or 100 years, there's, a, there's this dystopian collapse of all ecosystems, society, economies, and so on. And ultimately, um, the earth becomes uninhabitable for humans. Um, you know, maybe Elon Musk and a few pals go off to Mars, but for the vast majority, uh, everyone's dead. And, and, and the earth is not an option to live on for humans for maybe another you know, 20 million years. Um, how is that not tragic? <laughs> well, to me, the word tragic implies that, you know, it shouldn't be happening somehow, you know, that right. it's really, it doesn't, when I say it's not tragic, I don't mean that it won't be painful or that there won't be suffering in some way. Just as if I were, you know, dying of cancer right now, um, it might be excruciatingly painful. Um, so, but that to me wouldn't make it tragic. So there's that distinction. And I guess, you know, I do see whatever this whole thing is, um, whatever label we put on it, this whole, whether we call it unicity or oneness or consciousness or energy or whatever labels we put on it, and no label really does it in my opinion because labels are just labels. But whatever this is, I don't feel like, um, to me it's like it doesn't have a beginning or an ending. It's like, we are like waves in the ocean and the ocean is still there when one wave disappears, you know, it's not like, and the earth is like a wave. Each person is like a wave. The whole earth is like the whole universe is like a wave in this vast ocean of oneness of whatever this is. And so I feel like, you know, yeah, I, I, my personal expectation for my own death is that it'll be like going to sleep at night or going under anesthesia. You know, my movie of waking life will turn off and there will be no one there to miss it. And, but that to me doesn't mean that whatever this whole thing is doesn't, isn't still happening, you know. But Joan won't be there as Joan. You know, I'm not personally expecting to go down a, you know, a long dark tunnel or something through the Bardos, but I might be surprised. But, and so, you know, with the, with, the whole, with the whole species dying, it's really just a bigger version of the same thing, you know. And, if, if, um, and it may be that, you know, like sometimes people really ha really wake up on their as they're dying you know to the beauty of life and they transform in some way and that may happen to the to the human species and i suspect different things will happen there will be on one hand a right wing assert resurgence of you know people being frightened and scared and picking up their guns and on the other hand there will be people like hopefully you and me <laughs> and and you know truth lover people who who um, at least maybe most of the time or some of the time uh, respond in a different way and for whom, you know, and so I don't see that, that it's ever going to be all utopia or all dystopia. To me, it's this, this happening is always going to be a mix. That's the nature of it. And 
the response of uh, of truth lover people or 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 conscious people or or awakening people or um kind people perhaps or 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 caring people or progressive people or whatever label there's something really meaty and juicy in that right because i know personally i've often looked out at this world and including the rise of uh, nationalism and, and and right wing um and I don't want to say right wing because it creates this sort of false dichotomy of left and right as um, distinct political systems, which I think is un- un- unhelpful. But I, of course, recognize the, the validity of the concept within political thought. But what I'm pointing to in my own experience is looking out of this world basically and thinking, oh my God, like, why is this world so unkind, so stupid, so brutal, so cruel um whether that be seeing someone share their art on social media and having people trolling and saying all this most horrible stuff or seeing you know just just the the, the, the cruelty in, in, yeah. in this world and there was something in that when you said how we respond to the collapse to the the, the cruelty um I, I feel there's just something really profound in in, in that. How, how and and how do we respond to the this 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 climate change to this potential collapse of 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 of, of human survival? It, it feels like there's just such an immensity in how we respond. Do do we go into fear? Do we go into d- despair? Um, uh, resistance? You know, tragic. Uh, I want to get off this planet now. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm not going to wait to hang around. Um, how's that been alive in your journey? Because it, it does feel like there is a, a capacity to respond rather than be in reactivity. Right. Well, I think, you know, um, and I, I feel like I can find all those responses in myself, you know, everything from, uh, fear to love and joy and gratitude. You know, it, mm. it, I've seen it all in myself. And I think that's one of the beauties of st- things like meditation and psychotherapy and many different kinds of practices that, that have arisen um, is that we do begin to become more self-aware. We begin to see our own, our own fear, our own anger and so on, you know, and, and while we can't just automatically control that or something i mean that at least isn't my experience but the more aware the more there's awareness of it 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 does begin to shift in some way um and and you know as i see it the people who are doing those horrible things it, you know the people who are writing cruel things on social media or whatever they're they're doing they don't have the degree of insight or because of their their this is where life has led them you know they don't have that insight or that clarity or whatever. And so it's also about having compassion for them and seeing that, that this is, this is all they can be at this point, you know, and, and, um, and I liked what you said about the left and the right too, because I think it's true. I mean, as I see it, that we need both. I mean, we don't, in my opinion, need the extreme right, like the Nazis and, and stuff like that. But we do need both conservative and progressive views. I mean, obviously, 
you know, we need individual freedom and we also need collective responsibility. We need strong boundaries and we need inclusiveness and, um, and openness. Mm. Um, we need tradition on some hand, or at least, you know, a, a, a sort of a sense of not just of kind of not going too fast or something. And we also need progress and change and visions and, the, the ideal is that they kind of balance each other. And I think that's actually the reality in the larger sense that they do balance each other, even though in, in relative terms, one or the other may, may seem to be getting the upper hand at some moment. But, but um, and I think we have all of that in ourselves, each of us, you know, I don't think any of us just reflect openness and joy or that any of us just reflect fear and hatred or something. I think, you know, it's like, well, we, we've read about, you know, Nazi prison guards who would be horrible during the daytime, torturing people and stuff. And then they would go home at night and be wonderful fathers and husbands and listen to beautiful classical music and be nice to the dog. So they obviously had both somewhere in there. And I think we all do in some way. How do you see it? very much the, the the same way and that that we're uh, saints and sinners fools and sages and we have uh, capacity for reactivity and and, and uh, compassionate response in in each of us and if i look back at my my life i can see a great um paradox of many ways of of, of being and i want to pick out something that you spoke to around how to perceive people that are doing cruelty and people that are behaving violently and to recognize, and I like this term, uh, slow down, you know, recognize, to actually allow our thinking to evolve to what you're pointing to as I hear it, which is to see people's innocence essentially. Yeah. They couldn't do anything other than what they are doing, having had their life experiences and, um, being in the state of fear or whatever they're in in that in, in that moment um there was, there was something else that i wanted to, to explore with you which came up in that which was it feels like a very much sort of where the rubber hits the road of left and right and, and different views of the world um and ties into what might be possible and where there might be reason to hope with the future of humanity so i have friends who tell me that the billionaire as a, as a reality is, is um, morally wrong, that in a world of inequality, there just should not be people that have that much when there are others that have so little. And I've been listening to these arguments and I'm, I'm sympathetic to them and uh, feel there's some validity in that perspective that you know, when someone has so much more than they need and so many have so much uh, less than what they need for um, basic survival and, and food and water. There's something fundamentally wrong with that. And I, I watched this documentary on Netflix. I'm sure many people have recently about Bill Gates. And he has um, obviously made a huge amount of money and he's utilizing those resources to attempt to eradicate polio initially. And he's also created a company that's producing safe nuclear power that is utilizing the nuclear waste from previous nuclear power stations as its fuel source. So potentially if this were to be rolled out, it would be the end of fossil fuels like that because it would be economically better. It would be 
without um, significant amounts of waste and it would actually clean up a lot of the nuclear waste that we have. So I guess what I'm interested in in this is here we have the, the, the terrible Bill Gates who got a lot of bad press, the terrible billionaire that gets a lot of bad press in the, from a left-wing perspective. But it seems from their care and compassion and having the resources, they're actually creating potential solutions to some of our fundamental problems around around energy so i don't i don't know where you want to take that i don't know if i'm asking you a question but that's that's just been a life for me in the last 24 hours well one thing that i've noticed is that life is inherently unfair i mean we can we can we can do our various <laughs> things of social justice and i'm all for it you know um and, and some of it has been very helpful to me as a woman and and you know a lesbian and um, a gender non-binary person and a disabled person, you know, person with a disability. It's been all of these political movements have, have benefited me and many other people. So we can work towards, you know, some kind of social justice, but I think there is the reality that life is fundamentally unfair. You know, even if we had total social justice, you still have some people are going to be born with horrible diseases and disabilities and other people are going to be born with gorgeous, beautiful, healthy bodies, you know, some birds are going to be eaten in the nest and some are going to fall out of the nest and some are going to learn to fly. Um, you know, and I personally have a number of friends, maybe two or three friends who are, you know, inherited huge amounts of money and are very, very wealthy. And they are some of the most generous, um, kindest, people I know and they've used their money in very good ways to do incredibly wonderful things. Um, there are also people who have a lot of money like Donald Trump is a great example who use it to, you know, uh, put gold everywhere in their entire house, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, there's like, it doesn't necessarily necessarily go that way, but, but um, I mean, of course I would like to see a society where nobody is homeless and, can't have health care and, you know, is working three jobs and still doesn't have enough money for a place to live, and which is the reality in, you know, this country anyway, a lot of, but, um, but however much progress we make on those levels, there's always going to be, there's always just by nature going to be, some people are going to be born with more intelligence or more, more, um, more creative, more creative abilities or more physical strength or more, um, whatever. Um, you know, there was a wonderful book by um, Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers about mm. all the different factors that go into making um, some of the great people or how people from different countries are more or less likely to crash the plane, pilots from different countries and stuff. And he was sort of examining all that. And there were just really amazing things like I think he started out with football players and how the, depending on what part of the year you were born in, which then had to do with whether you were one of the stronger or weaker ones in your class, had everything to do with whether you ended up as a, as a professional successful football player and, you know, or, or, or someone like, uh, you know, people who, well, Bill Gates or any number of people, you know, it's just, it depends so much on the moment in history when you're born yeah. Um, the particular lucky breaks you have. And you think of all the people who had some of those things, but not all of it. You know, they had the, maybe they, they could have invented the computer, 
but they did they were born at the wrong moment in history and they didn't have or they were a woman back in the you know last century or they didn't have the re whatever you know so it's like uh yeah in in outliers he does speak of uh bill gates is extraordinary right. him and one other had access to computers at a time that no one had access to computers uh, right. and they had access like pretty much 24 7 if they wanted which again was just just one of a dozen people upon the planet at the time or even less and bill gates spoke of how lucky he has been how yeah. how how fortunate he has been and i i had a friend of a friend watching this documentary and was um comparing themselves with bill gates and i thought that's definitely a, a route to suffering because you yeah. know you're not going to be as rich as him. You're not going to have done much good work as him. You're not going to be as intelligent as him. Um, right. Pretty much any comparison point is going to lead to deficiency or, or lack, which you pointed to as you know, those things to watch out for in, in our quest for self-improvement. If we're actually coming from a place of self-hate or we're right. coming from a place of deficiency, there's, a, there's an inner violence in that or an unhealthy. Oh, yeah. 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 It's so easy to fall into that, you know, comparing our, and, and we're often presented with these sort of um, extraordinary people, you know, I like quadruple amputees who are climbing Mount Everest and, and, you know, <laughs> people who are born in poverty and end up as billionaires and these sort of, these sort of and on the one hand, it's wonderful because, you know, you find out that yes, there are more possibilities than maybe you thought there were, for someone who's old or has a disability or whatever it is, you know, so in that way, it's, it's good. But it also sets up a thing where in the disability movement years ago, we used to call it the super crip phenomenon, you know, where, <laughs> where it was like, you know, or you, you see it in all kinds of areas. I mean, people who are like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I mean, that woman, you know, she, the Supreme Court judge in the United States, she's an incredible woman, and she's had she apparently she like never takes a day off. The woman has survived colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, lung cancer, um, you know, incredible wow. family uh, things that she's gone through. Um, she's raised a family and, you know, and she's in her, I don't know how she's 90 or, in, you know, she's really getting up there and she's, she's, and if I start comparing myself to her and like, well, God, when I had anal cancer, I didn't, I, I couldn't have gone to work every day at the Supreme Court. I don't know how she did that, you know, like, like, uh, and, you know, she's doing these workouts with a trainer, if you see the documentary about her, which is an amazingly wonderful documentary, but she's doing these incredible workouts that, you know, most young men at the peak of their abilities would have trouble with. And, and you know, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, if I start comparing myself someone like that it's just a, like you say it's a recipe for feeling bad but we're each doing you know we're each each of us are completely unique and you know we're each beautiful and perfect as we are mm -hmm. and it's not about meeting some external ideal or being like somebody else and this is such a I feel like this is just something that I'm still learning and that's just such a deep thing in life that that you know we, we're so there's such a tendency to look to other people and and then feel like I have to be more like them I have to think more like them I have to my presentation has to be more like them you know I have to look more like clothes whatever you know and it's such 
you know, it's like this journey to discover that what I'm really here for, there's a, there's a Zen teacher, you know, in Zen, they often give you, when you have, take lay ordination, they give you a Buddhist name and you usually get these sort of names that are in a foreign language and they mean something like lotus flower, full moon or something, you know. Well, he gives you, at lay ordination, he gives you your actual name. So like my Buddhist name would be Joan Tollefson. And I love that because it's sort of like, you know, that is my task in life is to be Joan Tollefson, not to be Nisargadatta, not to be Ramana Maharshi, not to be Krishnamurti, not to be, you know, Meryl Streep, not to be somebody else, but to be Joan Tollefson, you know, and, and it, it just feels like that's, uh, um, a life lesson, you know, that I'm still learning and still unfolding. That, that's beautiful. I, I was given the, the Dharma name Ku, which is Shunyata, which is emptiness. And I don't think you could get a more badass um, Dharma name and, and also one that's impossible to live up to truly, perhaps. And I love this idea of, you know, I, I hereby ordain you as, as Will Pye or Joan yeah. Tollison. All you have to do is just be you. And right. Which the, turns out to not be so easy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, how do I do that? <laughs> Has anyone done that before? <laughs> where's, where's, the, where's the roadmap or the guide? <laughs> and yet at the same time, you know, we can't really fail at it either. I mean, <laughs> even our attempts to look like somebody else are all, you know, part of the journey, sort of, you know, like there's, like you can't really fail at being emptiness um, and you can't really succeed. <laughs> right. The, the, there's something that, that comes to mind, which is, um, so your title of the book, Death, the End of Self-Improvement. What came with my diagnosis like it, it was literally very much in my consciousness in my journal was this quote death is certain it's timing uncertain so what is important now and i think that would be in the background of anyone's diagnosis or that's mm. that, and it was not allowed to be anything other than foreground in in my experience it was like in case i was too dumb to get the message of the diagnosis, the wake up call aspect. Here it was in print that I'd written myself five days before being diagnosed. Now, I've been living and exploring and pondering that question a great deal. You know, what is important now? What do I have to do or be such that when I die, I would feel complete or content or have less regrets, perhaps? Um, and I do feel that there are, there are particular flavors, songs that we're here to sing or, or flavors of life that we're here to bring forward. You've spoken to that uniqueness that each of us has. And yeah, I, 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 so maybe there is this sort of self-improvement that's still alive in myself that I'm wondering what is the thing or, or what is the being or the song that I must bring forth whilst I'm here? So it does feel like there's something true in that. Um, mm. The phrase soul purpose might be one I think that you might re reject. 
um, or be uncomfortable with. But that would be a common one in the in the lingo. You know, what's your sole purpose? What are you here to do and and, and be? That's that's uniquely you. Has that been something alive in your journey and your path? Yes. I mean, I think that question comes up for maybe not for all human beings, but certainly um, certainly for those of us who are you know uh, have the opportunity of not having to just struggle for bare survival. You know, because right. maybe if you're at that level of which so many people are, um, these questions don't really come up. But um, for those of us who are lucky enough to, to, you know, not be just struggling every day just to survive, um, then I think it's a natural question, and it's certainly come up for me many times in my life. What I've kind of, well, I write in the book actually about, I was on a session years ago with Maureen Stewart. She was a Zen master, a Zen teacher, and she was dying of pancreatic cancer at the time of the session. And she gave me that question, what do you want as a koan at the beginning of the session? And I, I spent days, you know, just sort of twisting around, you know, with these, do I want to live in New York or California? Do I want to be in Zen or non-Zen? And then finally it just hit me, I want to be awake now. That's mm-hmm. what I really want. And, and it, it was this revelatory moment. And when we're awake now, everything sort of flows out of that, you know, and our thoughts about whether I should be in New York or California, they don't really go anywhere. They're just sort of these little spinning things, you know. And so what I've kind of realized is that, like right now, for example, well, what, let me back up. When I got my diagnosis of cancer, um, because of my age and I don't really want to live to be so old that I am incapacitated in a nursing home or something. So I, I was wondering maybe if this is an exit door, maybe I should take it. So I said to the doctor, what happens if I do nothing? And he said, well, you'll probably be dead in a matter of weeks. Um, and I didn't have to think at all. And actually the thought that came up was I have to finish this book. I can't die in a few weeks. And so, and I said, okay, let's do the surgery and the treatment there. Let's do it. And, and now I finished the book and it's sort of like, I'm at that one of those places in life where it's kind of like, what's next? And I don't know. And, but what I find different this time is that I don't find myself obsessing about it as I might have in the past. I'm not sort of spinning in thoughts about, you know, should I, oh, should I do this or that or something? I just have this kind of trust that whatever is going to arise will arise and that I'm not really in control of it, you know, that there's a bigger thing going on here and that I'll find out what's next. And also, in a certain way, like, it's an interesting question, like, would I be okay if I died today? You know, would I feel complete or something? <laughs> and in some way, I, I think maybe we never feel complete because there's always things on my to-do list that I haven't done yet, you know, just on the most mundane level. And then, you know, there's always sort of like, like already I can see, well, there's things I said in this book that, that now I would say a little differently, you know? And so it's <laughs> I've like, got to rewrite the book. <laughs> I've got to write another book. You know, I, I don't know if I will, but you know, it's sort of like, like beyond death maybe or something, but, but <laughs> life after death. Um, but, there you go. You got the title. But, Let's see. Yeah. But, but um, so maybe on, on one level we never, you know, because life doesn't really resolve itself into some sort of neat final thing, you know, like, oh, I've, now I've done it. There's always going to be that sense. It's part of being alive that, you know, like as I joked with someone, well, there, there, you know, there will come a time when, when you know, 
all these things that I feel the pressure of having to get done. I don't have that anymore. And it's called death. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and, uh, um, and on the other hand, there is kind of a feeling like if I died now, it'd be okay. You know, I did what I did. Um, and, and, you know, seeing that it's not really personal feels so helpful to me. Like that it's not, and by what I mean by that is that there's no, there's no little me in here who's sort of running this show. Like the wave isn't some independent thing that's deciding which way to go in the ocean. It's part of the ocean and the ocean is moving, you know, and it's so it's like, there's, there's a bigger happening here than little, little Joan Tollefson, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> so yeah it's a it's so mysterious and uh and and curious and i can relate to much of what you're speaking to with the wanting to get a book written i know when i was uh diagnosed and then when the diagnosis was sort of upgraded or, or downgraded depending upon your perspective there was a sense of the inconvenience in relation to my to-do list and, and what <laughs> And I can I can also relate to the feeling of uh, uh, total comfort and, and willingness and readiness to die now, and that's been really one of the gifts of the, the the journey, and indeed the seizure activity that's occurred since. Because what happens in those moments of precursor symptom of altered state of consciousness and tingling in the left hand? So there's a knowing. I'm probably about to have a seizure. This this fear arises, and then an awareness: What am I scared of? Ah, oh, a seizure or death. Like that's the two things that could go really wrong right now. And surrendering to that as a as a as a as a simple no choice choice to not suffer in this moment. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, seizure, death, wonderful. Bring it on! I'm ready. And 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 this is where I find it's interesting. There's an intentional breathing. There's so there's so there's this like simultaneous total surrender, and yeah, a, a deeper breath and a, and a breath into the, the to, to the root. And I just love this this experience and what it points to this this. This, this paradox on the one hand of total surrender and volitional deeper receiving of the breath that's already happening. Mm. And thus far in my experience, that has meant no seizures. So I had one on a plane a couple of years back, but otherwise no seizures in 10 years. So, but apart from anything else, it's an effective way of responding to precursor potential seizure activity. Um, and it, it, this, 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 this touches on the paradox of, of, of being and living for me, that there is no little me controlling this, that I, I wake up, I go to sleep. There's no one there in the morning. If I look, there's no one here now. There's nothing doing no thing. And, and, and yet there is this sense of, well, if I, you know, just drink alcohol for the next, um, you know, if I just say, I'm going to just enjoy wine every day. That's my, what's important now that's going to lead in a certain direction. And if I decide that what's important now is just to have a really 
limber body and I just focus on my yoga and lots of meditation, that's going to have different effects and outcomes as time unfolds. Um, yeah, I, I just I just find this 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 paradox of quantum mechanics, we could say, right? Where what wave and particle simultaneously and, and, and neither one nor the other. It's um yeah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and we can't really, you know, we can't really capture this whole reality in any concept. So, you know, these concepts like free will or no free will or self or no self, these concepts, which people tend to get quite stuck in on one side or the other, but they're just concepts and they sort of point us to a certain recognition. You know, like right now, if I look, I can see that these words are just coming out. I can't find anybody back there who's sort of authoring them. It's like, I'm hearing them too. You know, like, I don't really know what's going to come out, you know, mm -hmm. like there's really nobody at the controls and, and yet I'm not separate. I'm, I am the ocean. I mean, I'm not just a wave. I'm the ocean, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, and so it's like, and there's certainly a kind of uh, part of how this whole thing is moving is that we have apparent choice you know, in some ways, like, like you're describing, you know, to breathe deeply when you feel a seizure coming on or, um, or to choose yoga over wine as a lifestyle or something. Although, and of course we don't really know where either one of those would lead. I mean, you know, you might choose yoga and end up, you know, quadriplegic. Uh, or, yeah. yes. Or, and choose wine and end up, you know, as Alan Watts or, you know, whatever other, showing our trumpa or whatever whoever else is you know drunk out of their mind or something but um so yeah so it is a paradox it is a paradox because yeah it's a paradox and we can't really we can't really get hold of it conceptually i think but we can see where where each of the conceptual ideas kind of uh, lead to suffering if we fixate on them. Like if we're, if we're really fixated on the idea that I am in control here, I have choice, I can choose my destiny, you know, I can choose to think positive thoughts and those will manifest reality and I can do all this, then, you know, we're going to suffer because it's not always going to work, you know. On the other hand, if we're fixated on the other side and we sort of think, oh, I have no choice, I have no control, and we don't really see that in the fullest, biggest way, um, then we're going to be stuck in sort of disempowering ourselves and thinking, oh, well, I can't, why, I can't breathe deeply. I, yeah, I'm going to have a seizure, but I can't do anything about it. I'm powerless. Or, you know, I can't, I can't take up yoga because who would be doing that? You know, people get into these sort of <laughs> absurd things, you know? Uh, <laughs> so I, I love that uh, clarity. I think that, 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 that speaks to this sort of ongoing dying to a position or to a point of view or to a, an opinion. Um, and that, that's, that's a, a, a mysterious way of being to be dropping back into the emptiness we could say, or to be, remaining in the mystery or coming back to the not knowing. Um, 
but again, words. Um, the beauty of your, your Dharma name, emptiness, you know, it's kind of like, because that does feel, what we're talking about, it really does feel like the deepest place, you know, it's just not, you know, not fixating anywhere, just opening, just letting go into not knowing. Not, you know, not holding on to our positions or something. Yeah, there's a profound peace in, in this, in that in what we're speaking to. And I love the image perception that you evoked for us that in this talking, in this speaking, there's no one doing it. There's no author, there's no controller. And it's one of the great delights in my experience of uh, teaching. Uh, it's, it's, it's a word I also struggle with um, or, or, or reject because there's nothing to be taught and there's no one teaching. But in these environments where you will have had a similar experience, um, we uh, sit down in a chair perhaps in front of a room or maybe in a circle, if we've tried to avoid too much suggestion of hierarchy. Um, And in my experience, there's never an agenda or, or a thing that I want to say. And yet, something will be spoken and very often it's helpful and not always of course and that's one of the great joys and delights in 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 my experience as it is in this conversation with yourself it's I, i i do these truth lovers because it's actually just very enjoyable to be having these dialogues to be in this conversation exploring reality in real time as it were it is enjoyable and i love doing it with you it's great and 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 it's true you know it's like it's this paradox because we're like one whole happening like there's no will and there's no joan there's just this happening and and at the same time there's sort of there's will and there's joan you know Mm. it's like you can't really deny either aspect of it or something yeah years ago when i was giving my first talk and it was going to be before a large group at spirit rock in california and my teacher tony packer who never used that word my friend tony packer uh, she said um don't think about it at all beforehand and i said what (laughs) and she said just don't think about it at all if you start thinking about it just stop don't give it any thought just show up be present and see what comes out. And that's what I've done ever since, more or less. I mean, every now and then I, I have, I'm in a situation where I do sort of need to give some thought to the, but actually I find it goes better when I don't give some thought to what's going to be unsaid, you know? Yeah. And, I, I, I found that out in my first um, 10 or so talks, like gen- generally I would just show up, but on one occasion, I had this really clever idea for what I was going to title the talk. And it was so clever how it played with this and it played with this. And it was the worst. It was just mind nonsense. And it was the worst experience relative to the others because there was this maybe lack of flow and, and, and so on. So I, I, I learned that through my own experience as well. And, and that's all that I do now is ensure that, that I show up I mean, it sounds so simple as to be absurd. Well, of course you show up, but it is 
nothing more than that to 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 take the seat in not knowing to to see what's before us to to drop into the 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 the, the felt experience of being in this space with this group with 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 these people in this context in this country in this time obviously not as a mentation but as a like yeah. a, here we are and and then words happen it, it's really a, a, a an extraordinary gift i feel to have been able to um have that experience with people um and and to do it once you know like what's important now what like to, to sit back on the deathbed and look back like wow that was cool to do it once would would my life be any more meaningful or beautiful if i'd done it a, a hundred times or a thousand times would it mean more if i'd given that experience to thousands of people or, or hundreds of thousands rather than thousands i i can't i don't know but it feels perfect and precious as just as it is yeah i think that's one of the things that's really become so clear to me lately post cancer and you know getting old is just that life is beautiful just the way it is like it doesn't you know it, it's not about how big the crowds are or how many huge events i've done or how many books i've written or how many how successful they were or any of that stuff um and it can be something so simple as just smiling at somebody on the street or saying hello to having a little conversation with the checkout clerk you know about the weather and, and like that beautiful Louis Armstrong song that I quote in the book, you know, uh, it's a beautiful world. You know, we're, we're, we're saying, we, we say these things like talking about the weather, but what we're really saying is I love you. Mm. You know, that's what the checkout clerk and I are really, we're exchanging love. And mm. we're having this little, you know, apparently sort of superficial conversation that the checkout clerk probably has to have with everyone who comes through, you know, <laughs> like, oh, it's a great day today, isn't it? Or, oh, the snow, whatever, you know. And, uh, and yet it's really just saying, I love you. I love you. You know, it's just an exchange of love. And, and that's, to me, that's as important as speaking to an auditorium full of thousands of people on, you know, national or international television or something, you know, it's like, um, and, and, and we know that from physics, even that the smallest little thing influences the whole, mm. but it's just really more deeply felt, you know, that, that that's true. That um, So, yeah, it's a kind of letting go of grandiosity or something, I guess, you know. Yeah, I love that you've taken us to that because one of the teachings or pointings of Love and Truth Party is this idea that we're playing powerfully in the, in the pure democracy of consciousness. So that little moment of connection with the checkout assistant is, uh, is, is, is nothing in, in a sense, in a material sense, it's, it hasn't, hasn't changed the world, but in an immaterial sense, in, a, in, a, in an energetic exchange, there's something that happens. There's a, there's a ripple out from every action, from every moment. And if there's a moment of tenderness or a moment of maybe listening a little deeper to that checkout assistant than maybe most of the people have during that day or uh, speaking from spontaneity and honesty rather than, you know, just the contorted 
you know, conformity of yeah great you know the the, the uh-huh. script <laughs> um that the, the there is beauty in, in that and i love this idea of you know what we're really saying in that small talk of of, of being an expression of love of of being a, an experience of, of 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 connection um yeah and, and it might be something that we that we don't even that's not even involving other people you know it might even just be how we're cleaning the kitchen counter or yes. um, as I write about in my book how I'm changing my ostomy bag or or right. you know how we're how we're uh, whatever you know it might be something that no one else how we're drinking a cup of tea alone it might be something that how we're caring for the objects in our home or something, you know, it might be something. And, and, and it feels pertinent in our conversation topic, the Anthropocene, how we are uh, marveling at nature's beauty or how we're standing upon the earth. I went for a run this morning and there was this mist over the river, a particularly beautiful missed so i had to stop because you know where am i running to right what's the point of running out so i had to stop and just enjoy this you know, thankfully I don't, I don't time myself for anything anymore um and just stop and enjoy this 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 beauty um and a, a, appreciate the extraordinary gift of that I, I have this phrase impossible beauty and it points to this experience when it's like I, it's almost impossible to grasp the profound beauty of this moment of of, of this mm. this preciousness of of this being, and uh, certainly as you've pointed us to, impossible to express in 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 words, uh, though we though we do our best to try. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even somehow, you know, the devastation, like, because we see the beauty in the earth and then we see what's what's happening, clear-cutting forests and the Amazon burning and species dying, just in the same way that on an individual level, we see a loved one who was strong and healthy and brilliant slowly losing one capacity after another and as they move towards death with an illness or old age, um, that there's a beauty in that also, that, that, um, that it's possible to see that and to meet that with, with love and joy and not in some false phony way, but just, just, and not with, not to say that we deny the sorrow or the, pain that's in there either or the grief or any of those things if they're there but but just that um there's a beauty even in i mean that's one thing i really realized that caring from being with my mother in the end you know i mean all these things that i would have thought or having an ostomy and having anal cancer i mean it was like all these things that i would have having you know my intestine protruding out my belly you know things that that you would normally think of as being sort of ugly and repulsive and ugh, I don't want to even look at that. And uh, which was my first reaction when I woke up in the hospital, like, Oh no, <laughs> like alien or something. But, mm. but, but, 
but you know, then I now I'm very fond of it. I talk to it, I sing to it, I watch it, I love it. I've grown very fond of it, you know. But and the same with my mother, you know, looking at this deteriorating flesh and stuff, and and just that there's beauty. There's beauty even in in the de in the oil spills and the devastation and dead things. I mean, it's all part of this whole happening somehow. It's all included somehow. Yeah. Aho. Uh, uh, it just feels like such a sweet point of conclusion. Uh -huh. uh, I'm just so, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Today, oh, it's been great. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. I just love you. So. <laughs> I love you too. And I'm so looking forward to sharing this with our viewers and, um, and looking forward to people enjoying your book, Death, The End of Self-Improvement. I probably don't need to say the title again. It's pretty, pretty memorable. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for, for joining us, Joan. I look forward to the next time we can, we can share space. Thank you, Will. And thank you to our listeners and viewers also. Uh, thank you for listening and watching. You can visit loveandtruthparty.org to join our community, uh, find out more about Joan as well, to download or order love letters, register for our newsletter, and of course you can connect on social media and indeed consider a financial gift at loveandtruthparty.org. Thank you to all our supporters and contributors. Together we are creating kind, conscious, courageous human community. Mm -hmm.